Welcome to the Two Journeys Bible Study Podcast. This podcast is just one of the many resources available to you for free from Two Journeys Ministry. If you're interested in learning more, just head over to twojourneys.org. Now on to today's episode. This is episode 31 in our Acts Bible Study Podcast. This episode is entitled, Paul and Barnabas Split. Paul Begins Second Missionary Journey, where we'll discuss Acts 15.36 through 16.5. I'm Wes Treadway, and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, what are we going to see in these verses that we're looking at today? Well, it's a very interesting story here is the uh, breakup between Paul and Barnabas. And it's, you know, it's a sad moment in church history, but it just, uh, again, testifies to the realism of the Bible concerning even its greatest heroes. The Bible is always very honest about the sin natures of uh, even its leading figures. And it's not clear uh, who's sinning between Paul and Barnabas, but the fact that they couldn't resolve, you know, that Paul writes to Philippians uh, uh, about Yuri and Syntyche and how they should be of one mind and all that and talks a lot about looking to other people's interests, not your own and all that. But it just seemed to be hard for these two great men, Paul and Barnabas, to come to resolution. We're also going to meet Timothy and the beginning of his relationship with Paul. So there's a lot to cover today. Let me go ahead and read Acts 15.36 through 16.5. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derbe and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Andy, why do you think Paul wanted to go back to the Gentile towns where they had earlier preached the gospel? Well, it's a very important question you're asking. It's important for mission strategy. It's important um, as we think about, uh, you know, I'm a trustee with the International Mission Board and and how important it is uh, to do the full Great Commission, that we're not just trying to get people to make an initial profession of faith in Christ to pray the sinner's prayer. We want to teach them to obey everything Christ has commanded. And that takes healthy churches. And also there's the parable of the seed and the soils. There's different kinds of outcomes as time goes on. You know, there's some like the rocky soil that looks good initially, but what's going on down the road? And we see from from Paul's epistle to the Thessalonians how he's very concerned about whether the Thessalonians were continuing in the faith or whether they were buckling under the heat of persecution. He has the same concern about the Philippians, um, that they're going through the same kind of persecution, et cetera. And so it's very important to do this kind of missionary follow-up and to make certain that the church is rooted and established. I think Paul writes his epistles uh, to the Galatians or Ephesians, uh, Colossians. He writes them to existing churches to strengthen strengthen them in the faith and to enable them to develop root systems. So it's a good strategy here. And he wants to go with Barnabas back to those places. 
Why do you think Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, and how is that desire here consistent with his track record and nickname, the Son of Encouragement? Well, it, it very much lines up with who he was. He saw the best in people. You know how it says in 1 Corinthians 13, love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That was Barnabas. He was an encourager, and he's like, all right, there is a clear acknowledgement that John Mark had failed them in the first missionary journey He uh, for, for not good reasons. There were no good reasons for him to have left. That's why Paul doesn't want to bring him, and so we're going to get into all that in a moment. But um, Barnabas wants to give him a second chance. You know, he saw a future in this young man, and indeed there was a future because he wrote the second gospel, the gospel of Mark, hmm. was written, traditionally we understand, as this is the very one who wrote uh, the gospel of Mark. And so he did have a future, and Paul himself would later say in Second Timothy, get Mark and bring him with you. He's useful to me in my ministry. And so he'll acknowledge that Mark landed on his feet. But at this point, it's not looking very good. And so um, Barnabas uh, really plays that encourager role. He wants to put an arm around this young man and say, hey, let's give him another chance. We, we acknowledge that he shouldn't have left. Uh, he probably left out of fear of man. He was uh, The persecution was getting hot. They're going from city to city. And very few people uh, could, could handle that. And John Mark at that point in his sanctification was not ready to handle it. But now he wants another chance. And so Barnabas is exactly the one to say, hey, I'm going to give this young man another chance, put an arm around him and, get, and give him an opportunity to grow. All right, so let's get into Paul's response then. Why did Paul respond the way he did to Barnabas, and what does Paul's behavior teach us about him? Well, verse 38 says, Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them or abandoned them in Pamphylia, had not continued with him in the work. So that's the reason why. Um, he's like, look, we got to have people we can trust. we got to have people we can count on. And, uh, you know, he, he bailed on us, and I don't want to go through that again. I want to carry him from place to place if he's going to be complaining or if he's going to be fearful. If mm. he's going to be a weak link, chains is only as strong as the weakest link. I don't, I don't want to bring him. And so uh, he stands pretty strong on this point. He just doesn't think that it would be beneficial for the good of the mission. I know that leaders do need, need to make those kinds of choices. So I'm not just out of hand faulting uh, Paul here. Uh, like it's inconceivable. We should always give people a second chance to go on mission with us, et cetera. We're not saying that. Um, but as I've already noted, because of the subsequent history for uh, for Mark, who he was, it seems like the Holy Spirit is vindicating Barnabas more than more than Paul here. But I think Paul's reasons were he wanted a team he could count on, and he didn't think he could count on John Mark. So, Andy, you've alluded to this, but what ended up happening, and who do you think was right and who was wrong in this situation? Well, it's very sad. It says in verse 39, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And so they they couldn't work it out. And I have a hard time reconciling that, as I said, with the book of Philippians, with what mm. Paul says in Philippians 2 about unity, about being of one mind, having the same love. Each of you should not only look to your own interests, but the interests of others. What's right here? What's in in, in Mark's best interest? Would it be in his best interest to say, yes, we want to give you another chance? He wants to go. His eyes are open. He knows that they're going to get persecuted. He wants another chance. Mm. He probably feels ashamed of how he behaved. And Paul's like, nope. And, and so I, my, my instincts are to lean with Barnabas here and say, you know, I would just love the kind of gracious church, uh, gracious missions movement where people who fail and then later repent are able to be, to be restored. Look at Peter. He's a cl classic example of somebody who could have just been booted and instead the Lord restored him and established him in leadership even. 
So he is the preacher of the Pentecost sermon in Acts 2. Hmm. And so I think that's just very hopeful, isn't it? And so what ends up happening here is they just can't resolve. They can't resolve. They can't get together on this. They can't, they, they're not able to listen to each other. And, and for maybe Barnabas wasn't at his best. We don't know. It could be that, that Barnabas became prideful in, in some way or said some things that he regrets. We don't know. I don't want to write in things that aren't in the text. But we do know this. They did not resolve. And there is no scriptural record of them resolving or working together again later. Hmm. And so that's sad. It's, you know, you really would would like to have had that happy ending. Well, we know they have a happy ending in heaven. And so whoever or both of them who needed to repent uh, have been completely transformed by their hmm. resurrection minds and hearts. Um, but the fact of the matter is, um, or their glorified minds and hearts, the fact of the matter is these two men, these two great leaders could not reconcile. Now, I think what we need to do is realize what a, what a sad paradigm this is for subsequent 2,000 years of subsequent Christian history. How many missionaries have left the field because of division within the team? Actually, that's the number one reason that, that missionaries leave the field is, is conflicts with their team members. Mm. And um, again, how many times do you see great men like Luther and Zwingli who have a falling out and they cannot get together, they do not reconcile? You see, you see other examples of this, and it's sad. You wish it were different, but Scripture is honest saying this is going to happen, and yet for all of that, it doesn't derail the 2,000 years of, of church history. So I, I just want to circle this with a red pen and say this is a sad moment, but it's very realistic. The scripture is honest about the sin nature of, of its even its greatest men. If Barnabas was right and not Paul in this instance, you know, we see in Galatians that Paul was right to rebuke Barnabas yeah. over separating from Gentiles. Mm -hmm. What is the fact that each of these great men of God who we've been speaking of needed a correction from the mm -hmm. other teach us? Well, I think it should teach us about, about humility and friendships and Christian friendships. Also that great proverb, iron sharpens iron. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Um, Barnabas needed to be rebuked. He was behaving wrongly. And he had, he had pulled back from table fellowship with the Gentiles because that party from that group from uh, James came, those Judaizer types came. And and so even Barnabas uh, and and. Paul says that in Galatians. He's, even Barnabas was led astray. I mean, here's this great man, and he should not have been duped by this. So what it shows is, you know, maybe, Wes, you and I as friends, on, on Monday you'll need to get in my grill, and then maybe a week later it'll need to be the other way around. Uh, probably not likely the other way. you know. It's a, <laughs> but, but, you know, it's just, yeah, we need each other. And that's what a good healthy church is. That's what good friends do for each other. Um, now there's ways to do it. You know, it says in Galatians 6.1, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, watching yourself, lest you also be tempted. The idea is you come in with gentleness, you come in with that humility, you know that you're a sinner, and that's the way we can, iron can sharpen iron. So I guess that's what I get out of this is, you know, the fact is Barnabas needed, needed Paul to confront him and rebuke him in Galatians, and here it seems, it seems at least to me the other way around. Now, in chapter 16, we see Paul and Silas begin the second missionary journey. But before we dig into verses 1 through 5, is there any more that we need to say about how this split hurt mm -hmm. the church and how God used it for good in this right. situation? Well, it hurt in that you got these two leaders that can't reconcile. How it helped is you got now we got Silas. And so Paul and Silas go and have the experiences they have in Acts 16, 17, et cetera. And so 
you know, who knows if it might have gone differently um, in Philippi if it had been Barnabas. We don't know. We do know that God causes all things to work together for good. And so, uh, yeah, it's 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 a black mark to some degree that these two great men can't reconcile in the pattern of Philippians and other passages. But still, God used it. And so we don't know what happened with Barnabas and John Mark in Cyprus. I mean, maybe God used them. We have no record of it. We follow Paul uh, in the story at this point, And we do know what happened with Paul and Silas. So it's pretty exciting. Now, Lystra was the place where Paul and Barnabas had healed a lame man and where the people had wanted to offer sacrifices to them, thinking they were gods who had come down to them. And Paul had also been stoned and left for dead in Acts 14, 8 through 19. What did Paul find this time when he returned to Lystra? Well, I guess the stoning party was gone uh, or they didn't <laughs> know Paul was back in town. So thankfully, that was that was it. It was some Jews that had stirred up the pagans to do this. Um, but we don't see any any indication of that kind of persecution. But what he, they do find is is Timothy, and so we have the account of who he who he was. He was a disciple named Timothy, and we learn from Second Timothy that his mother's name was Lois and his grandmother Eunice, and how they had poured um, from infancy. They had poured Jewish scripture into him. That's what would have been available. Mm. It says how from infancy you have known the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And he said, but you continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And so he openly says good things about Timothy's mother and grandmother, Lois and Eunice, and how they shaped and prepared him. Um, and so that's who we meet here. Um, unfortunately, it says his father was a Greek, and that's all it says about him. So he's of no account. Because the best thing we can say about this guy. He is of no account spiritually. He is not helping. Hmm. Um, and so he was not Jewish. And so the mom and the grand grandmother are raising Timothy in the Jewish faith. He was a disciple, it says. And so maybe even in the gospel. Um, but... Uh, but his father is is not there. And so we're going to see a beautiful uh, adoptive, spiritually adoptive father-son relationship between Paul and Timothy. It's one of the sweetest relationships in the New Testament and how he became his, as he says, his son in the faith. So that that's a paradigm. So there are some times that there's some young men and their fathers are not believers. Hmm. And the church can step up and do some discipleship with that young man and pour into, into him the gospel as a kind of a spiritual father and role model, and that can be beautiful. What does verse 2 teach us about the Christian community in that region, and what does it teach about Timothy's character and the role of a good reputation in being invited to higher levels of service? Yeah, so we got the church, the brothers at Lycer and Iconium speak well of him, so that's what it means that Timothy was a disciple, he's a follower of Christ, he's in the church, and they're seeing him, and they say, look, this, this young man's got a lot of talent. And he's got a lot of interests, and and God God could use him, and so uh, we commend him. So there's a commendation, and and I, I think parenthetically that's just one of the number one ways that churches do that for one another. When 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 there's a, a slot to be filled in the ministerial staff, or, or some position to be filled, a lot of times more than resumes, more than anything else, it's references and and and, ref, and recommendations, especially in a network of friendships where you have an individual who trusts another individual and says, "Hey, do you have any any young men that are talented, or or you know some young ladies that could fill in this role?" And it's like, yeah. I want to tell you about this brother or this sister that, you know, we commend this person to you. And so that's a beautiful thing. You know, I think of the powerful command, we have to watch our own lives and doctrine, but how helpful it is also to have other
other people watching our life and doctrine and helping us along the way in our Christian journey and sanctification, and then subsequently, uh, perhaps in ministry as well, helping us to mature and honor the Lord in the way that we live and the way that we teach. Yeah, I think that's something that we've noticed with spiritual gifts, that they flourish in the context of the local church. And so as they are nascent, as they're beginning, like the gift of teaching and gift of administration, all that, um, you need brothers and sisters around that say, hey, you know, you're really good at this. Keep doing this. And and there's that encouragement um, so that pe- the, the, the uh, church can speak into that and help fan that, that spark into a flame. Why do you think Paul wanted to take Timothy along on the journey? And what can we learn about discipleship from this relationship we see here? Well, we can just tell from what happens in the in the two epistles, first and second Timothy, and then Paul was he had a vision for mentoring. He had a vision for being a role model. And he knew that by far and away, the most effective and powerful way is if if you can be with him, you know, twenty four seven. Um, and, and then we can live together. We can eat together, travel together, et cetera. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they left their nets and they left their tax collecting booth and they followed. And so uh, we've noted this before. There are two patterns uh, of discipleship. There's the pattern, the two posts, the pattern of sound doctrine. And then there's the pattern of godly lifestyle or godly living. And um, that leads to two patterns in discipleship. There's book learning and life learning. Book learning is easier uh, life learning is harder. It takes sacrifice. You have to drop what you're doing and follow and be, go be with the person. Mm-hmm. And Paul was willing to say, hey, be with me and watch me and observe my role modeling. He does this in Acts 20. That he says, you know how I lived to the Ephesian elders. You know how I lived. You watched me. You saw what I did. Well, Timothy had a front row seat at the greatest Christian in 20 centuries of church history. Hmm. You know, obviously no one's greater than Christ, but I don't call Christ a Christian. (laughs) Um, But Paul was the greatest, and so Timothy could learn from the best. All right. On the heels of the Jerusalem Council, verses 3 and 4 are a bit interesting. So as we read these, what's going on as Paul circumcises Timothy Mm -hmm. despite the ruling that we've looked over in previous episodes together? It's a deep and gnarly question here. I mean, one thing we do know, by circumcising Timothy, he's not unsaying all of the things he clearly says in Galatians and Romans about justification by faith alone and that circumcision means nothing spiritually. Mm. But this may be more, much more of a meat sacrifice to idols issue. He doesn't want to give offense and he wants, he wants there to be – there's certain rules. There are rules to the synagogue. There are rules to the temple. And he wants to be able to bring Timothy with him where he's going. He doesn't want to have to leave him out at the door. And you say, well, those rules shouldn't be there. It's like, well, that's true. They shouldn't be there, but they are there. Mm. And it's going to take a while for the gospel to permeate these Jewish communities, and they're going to uphold their their rules. And if Timothy is an uncircumcised man, he's going to be seen as a pagan, a Gentile. The father is more significant than the mother. So the mother was Jewish, we're told. Uh, but the father had never uh, consented to having this boy circumcised. So Paul uh, circumcises him really as as so as not to give offense, to fit into culture. It's a mis- missiological strategy, not a soteriological or salvation issue. That's a helpful distinction as we consider what's going on here because I, I can remember reading chapter 15 and then chapter 16 and being struck by the yeah, seeming disparity there and, and thinking, what what's going on here? So it's well, helpful to distinguish yeah, between a, a doctrinal 
distinctive and then a missional strategy that Paul has here. Absolutely. I think this is this is what he says in Corinthians where he says, to the Jews, I became a Jew hmm. to win the Jews. So he's helping Timothy do that very same thing. Timothy, you are going to be a Jew to win the Jews, but not to win yourself, not to save yourself. That would be false doctrine. So if you're not circumcised, you cannot be saved. He's not saying that. But he is saying, if you're not circumcised, you can't get in this building. <laughs> I think that that is a practical issue, and he was willing to fit in in that regard. What does the language of verse 4 show us about the relationship between the Jerusalem Council and the local churches? Well, the key word there is obey. I mean, he gave them the letter that we had noted and seen at the end, at the end of uh, Acts 15. Uh, say, we are enjoining or encouraging you that you should abstain from food sacrifice idols, meat, meat of strangled uh, animals, blood, and from, from fornication, sexual immorality. So those are all aspects of that pagan cultic life, that, that, that ritualistic life. And so they said, this is what the Jerusalem Council has come up with, and we want you to obey this. This is what we're telling you to do. So the key word is obey. Now, we do believe that some aspects of that are temporal, and some aren't. We went through that, you know— earlier, yeah, you can eat a blood sausage and not be sinning against Almighty God. Things are different now. But they're not different uh, regarding um, sexual immorality, fornication. So some things are timeless, some things are temporary. At any rate, at that point, it was vital for those churches to obey. That's why the Jerusalem Council had handed down those rulings. What was the result of their ministry, and what's the significance of the summary statement that we see in verse 5? Okay, so Acts 16.5 is like the ultimate two journeys verse. It is, <laughs> it is like the key single verse, one-stop shopping for the two journeys. That's what our website is. That's what this, this whole ministry is, two journeys. And what are they? The internal journey of holiness, the external journey of gospel advance. So it's the spreading of the gospel um, to people who haven't heard it yet, through evangelism missions, and then it's growth uh, in grace and the knowledge of Christ, sanctification, and, and evangelism slash missions. That's what the two journeys are. Mm. Well, that's what Acts 16.5 is all about. By the way, we've also said progress of the gospel and progress in the gospel. Um, well, the gospel is sometimes called the faith. And so it says that the churches were strengthened in the faith. That's internal journey language. They're growing in grace and the knowledge of Christ. They're being sanctified. They're being strengthened in Christian doctrine. And the church grew daily in numbers. So they're evangelistically fruitful. So there's your two journeys, one-stop shopping verse, Acts 16.5. <laughs> Andy, it's been quite a couple of passages that we've walked through where we have this, this challenging situation between uh, Paul and Barnabas and then we see the fruit of Paul's ministry in these places that he's been before. What final thoughts do you have for us as we uh, conclude reflecting on these verses today? I just think it's marvelous how God can use and does use sinners to, to do great things. And so those of you that are listening to this Two Journeys podcast, be encouraged. Ask the Lord to use you. Say, Lord, lead me to somebody. I would love the church to, be, to, be, uh, to grow in numbers. I'd like to see new people added to the church. So use me as an evangelist today. But along with that, Lord, I want to be strengthened in the faith. I want to grow in grace and the knowledge of Christ. I want to be stronger in Christ. So Acts 16.5 is pretty strong. But all of that to say, despite the sin, despite the failings of Paul and Barnabas to resolve and to make things, you know, set a good example, um, despite all of that, still nothing stopping the spread of the gospel. The elect are definitely going to get saved and God is going to see to it. Well, this has been episode 31 in our Acts Bible Study podcast. We want to invite you to join us next time for episode 32 entitled, Led by the Spirit to Philippi. 
where we'll discuss Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 15. Thank you for listening to the Two Journeys podcast, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.